I am Divya Shekhar and this is from the bookshelves of Forbes India. Our guest on today's episode is arguably the greatest living expert on the constitution. We have with us Mr. Fali Nariman who started his legal practice the year the constitution of India was enacted in November 1949. Mr Nariman spoke with Forbes India editor Brian Carvalho and me a few days ago about his new book You Must Know the Constitution. We discuss a lot of pertinent issues like how the constitution can be taken to the masses, questions around sedition and censorship, national versus official languages, and whether it's time for India to have a new constitution. Listen up. to begin with uh, what i wanted to ask you is you know what would you say is the purpose of your book and who is it addressed at well it's certainly not addressed to very senior lawyers and advocates of the people, <laughs> people who profess to know the constitution the idea is to uh, acquaint the cross section of people as far as possible to know something about a constitution which is about the longest in the world so people are get a little worried about it it's like it's like the bible uh, nobody wants to get into it but yet you sometimes find quotations from it you find people referring to it and so on so it's always best to know something about it so it was a, sort of a breakdown for people who want to know something about it including of course young lawyers definitely including young lawyers yeah <laughs> yeah mr naiman uh, this is brian here you also say it's, it is easier to frame a constitution than to work it ah yeah that's a, that's a very big big uh, catch yeah, so how successful would you say very broadly has india been in making the constitution work uh, in making the constitution there were problems in making the constitution work there are greater problems <laughs> Right. Because and that that is so in the text of a constitution, which keeps where the people, where political subjects keep changing, where politicians keep changing, and where the world has kept changing. So it's it's a quite a quite an enormous task to keep it working, and it can only be kept working with a steadfastness of purpose. That's all. How do you think the judiciary has performed in terms of interpreting the constitution over over the period of time? Sometimes good, sometimes not so good. But you see, the the problem the problem about a constitution is that uh, uh, when you get a final interpretation of the last court, then it the ball lies in the politicians' court to see whether there should be more amendments to the constitution in order to bring out what. they conceive to be the right path so there is a right. constant it's a constant sort of uh, 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 travel along you have to travel along it's not as if the the political wing has no say at all in the constitution on the contrary right. it is right. to make amendments which are not contrary to the basic structure right in fact that's what happened yesterday i think uh, where the supreme court said that there's there'll be no marriage equality uh, for the lgbtq community in one, one glaring instance where there was a great deal of uh, thought put in a great deal of argument also that went around but then by a, almost by a majority of 3 to 2 uh, 
but uh, this is the problem. You see, in important matters, perhaps there are there should be larger benches that deal with the matter effectively and uh, so as to prevent uh, uh, so disappointment of large number of people. Because now we have a we have a Supreme Court with uh, thirty four judges, which includes the Chief Justice and. Uh, Although the constitution says that the constitution bench will be of five judges, it has always been five, seven, nine, eleven, and once or twice thirteen, as much much as that. So, yeah. uh, important questions ought to be kept for larger benches to de decide, especially with a with a supreme court. You must remember, our supreme court started with only seven judges. That was the original constitution. With the chief justice, eight and and uh, several benches of seven judges, which was almost a full court, sat for determining quite a large number of cases. And now we have five judges deciding certain important questions, which ultimately ought to have been decided by perhaps larger benches. Right, Mr. Nariman, you you made the point that India, you know, has has had this problem of majoritarian governments virtually since independence, right? I mean, we, we've had majoritarian almost, governments. And, almost uh, since. Almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that does that, you know, uh, work to the disadvantage of minority communities? Yes, we are seeing that with LGBT and probably we'll see that with UCC. LGBT, yes, definitely. Religious minorities included. Yeah. Yes. yes. Definitely. Yes, yes, it does. Because, so coming, sorry, but, but, yeah. but you see, the problem with majoritarian governments is that if it is a narrow majority, generally the majoritarian government tends to take solace from and assistance from the other sections of politics. Whereas right. if it's a super majority, like we have at present at the center, there are more difficulties. And yeah. uh, supermajority uh, doesn't really uh, work in our in our state of affairs. In, quite frankly, that that's my conclusion. In fact, right at the end, if you yeah. see yeah. yeah. So coming to the Universal Civil Court, I guess that leads us to to that. Uh, you have taken the minority view here, right? You say that you are opposed to the Uniform Civil Court. That we do not make the code as we already have in place a uniform set of laws applicable to all. That's so, right. so why then do you think the Constituent Assembly decided to include it in the directive principles at all? Right? But you must realize that the directive principles contains a very important article, which says that although these directive principles are fundamental to the governance of the country, yet they are not to be uh, 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 taken into account in courts of law. It's a right. very Thing. Yeah, yeah. So the stage is not yet set. When the stage gets set, then you may think of a uniform civil code because a uniform civil code in a country like ours is, is a, a mind-boggling event, mind-boggling. <laughs> you have tribals, you have small religious communities, you have separate sets of personal laws, etc. Right. So, so you say we are still not ready for it. It looks like it because as to whether a country is ready for it or not doesn't depend upon how many years go by. 
but whether whether there has been that cohesion <laughs> that uh, so, that uh, leadership which uh, invites uh, a, a particular uh, aspect of coherence amongst people okay ambedkar had said that the code could be framed although not enforced on all citizens do you think that's a mid path that we could take yeah that's a, that's quite right that's right quite right that as a, as a, as a starting measure certainly that, yes yes that was very wise you see there was yeah. far more at the great much greater wisdom amongst uh, many of the fathers of the constitution Right. So, Mr. Raiman, I wanted to ask you about, you know, the the National Judicial Commission. Um, you were in agreement with retired uh, Justice uh, M. N. Venkata Chalaya's proposal that the National Judicial Commission should have just five members, which is the Chief Justice of India, two judges who are next in seniority. along with the law minister and one eminent citizen nominated by the president in consultation with the prime minister so do you think this is the best option in front of us and if that is so uh, why aren't we moving ahead with it i i don't know why we are not but <laughs> i think that that is a very wise thing and and besides you must realize that in 2003 the then government which was a bjp led government it wasn't entirely a bjp government a bjp led government the nda government had actually introduced a constitution amendment bill incorporating this identical suggestion and it only fell through because elections were announced right. for any other reason and therefore that has to be picked up and uh, done because whilst the appointment of judges is not really the task of judges the task of judges is to decide cases not decide who should be judges right so in fact i think we were we were also talking about how you have become a critic of the collegium that you had championed in court right like the second judge and you sort of argued that case in 1993 it hasn't worked <laughs> as it was expected to as it right. was you're quite right and in fact i have written in my memoirs that uh, this was a case which i wish i had lost and not won right <laughs> <laughs> that but that makes no difference i mean these are all the ifs and buts of history which uh, right you also written that you know as long as poverty continues to stalk the land and gross disparities between the rich and the poor remain the ideal of an egalitarian society envisaged in our basic document of governance will remain at best an aspiration um some 17 years later i mean does this aspiration appear more tangible to you today and do you think social justice uh, is less elusive i i'm not yeah i think so because you see if you if you look at particularly articles 15 and 16 which go along with article 14 article 14 is the main article about equality 15 and 16 are as it were exceptions to the equality clause and we've gone on incorporating more and more exceptions to the equality clause Well, this is the unfortunate part because we are an unequal society. There is no doubt about it. We have been, I mean, traditionally also an unequal society, and caste has not helped at all. On the contrary, it has hurt the aspiration of the of the people. This is this okay. is unfortunate part of our system. The fifth article, fifteen and sixteen, you will find even now the there's a hundred and third amendment which was upheld. recently has put more, more a greater percentage for a certain number of, of a certain type of backward classes 
and we mm-hmm. have now the Bihar example, which is yeah. yes, the extreme backward classes. Uh, how, yeah. how, how far will we go? <laughs> so, yeah. what is what is your take on the caste census in that case? Uh, like, yeah. I don't know why take the apparently the politicians are all wanting to wanting it everywhere, but I'm not sure whether that will work at all. But 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 perhaps but it's a good good way to dislodge one government and install another. But that, that <laughs> but that doesn't uh, that doesn't advance the constitutional concept. You see, our, our, the caste system has cast a big cloud on the constitution, a huge cloud, mm-hmm. and, and, and we have not yet been able to uh, cope with it, much less conquer it. Right. right. Mr. Naiman, the original objectives of reservation were noble, right? They were seen as a means to secure social and economic. And we're expected to last 10 years. Those 10 years have gone on multiplying by 10, 10, 10, 10, and going on for and on. And it will be almost perpetual. And <laughs> and, and, and unfortunately, you see the the the... the the creamy layer has uh, has not evaporated. Yes, expected to the creamy layer in the, amongst the members of the caste because they want to hold on to their privileges. Is there is there a solution even today to kind of you know make sure it doesn't spiral further out of control? Is there a limit that we could draw probably in terms of quotas? There was a limit. There was a limit of one or two lakhs or three lakhs. Today it's twelve lakhs of rupees. Is the is the is the least limit for the, the backward class the, as to the removal of uh, removal of uh, this uh, uh, this creamy layer, what yes. was known as the creamy layer. That is, people who don't res- deserve to be uh, backward and who are they although they fall within that backward class, but but they've come out of it. They have come out of it. But no one wants to recognize if we have come out of it. We want to go go on putting more and more people into this backward class rather than taking people out. The idea is to have an ideal system to take people out, but we haven't succeeded. Right, and at the state level, this uh, I think this fifty-one uh, percent, uh, you know, the limit has been breached by a few states also, right? So, do you think if we can keep these reservations below that fifty-one percent limit, I think things could be under control. <laughs> but, but the latest census shows that it's sixty-three percent. Right. Yeah. Sixty-three. So, so you see, it's all—all all these percentages are of no meaning because one is to accept fifty percent. From now on, as it will be something far in excess of fifty percent. Sure. Mm. Yeah. So just taking off from there, Mr. Nariman. So we have this huge mass of people, and most of them are probably not even aware of you know what the constitution gives them their basic rights, right? So there is a disconnect between this beautiful document that's been created and the fact that you know our masses are blissfully unaware of you know what what it holds for them, right? That's why this is a step to get, get people, at least who are reasonably educated today, at least to acquaint themselves with the constitution. Right. I mean, that's the object, you see, because uh, you you must know something about it. If you don't know anything about it, how do you speak about it or think about it or talk about it, etc. And there, and it, because it's a very important thing. Please remember, it is the constitution that has kept this country as one. It's mm. very important. 
Everybody must realize that. It's the constitution that has kept this country as one country. And we have not get, broken up into what we were in the Middle Ages. Right. Does it have to be in English or is it time to take it to the regional languages? Good point, good point. Just, <laughs> just as you and I are talking in a particular language, English is not the language of Englishmen in India. It's the language of Indians in India. Right. You can spell it as I with an I rather than with an E. And that perhaps will make it more correct to speak of English as English. Because right. you must realize that the constitution might never have been formulated at all for India, but for the compromise formula which came about. And that okay. compromise formula was no national language, only yeah. official languages, yeah. uh, Hindi and English. Because right. there was an enormous controversy about well, in what script should Hindi be written. Mm. That itself yeah. occupied about 200 amendments to the in the Constituent Assembly. Right. This constitution might never have been written, but for but for but for this half-hearted compromise, as it has been called. Right. I mean, in fact, the center recently introduced those three bills in the Lok Sabha to replace colonial era laws. I mean, while those are welcome, there were some reservations about writing these laws in Hindi, right? So, I mean, the Constituent Assembly members did not give Hindi a national language state status, but and that but said that it should be the official language uh, 15 years later. Till then, English would be official. So, I mean, uh, if one can argue that it is the best time to write laws in Hindi, would that be a problem for non-Hindi speaking states? How do we handle that? It's good good to have uh, uh, laws written in Hindi. I have no objection to it. But, but okay. the problem is, you must understand that we have borrowed the Westminster type constitution as most <laughs> of the former British colonies. There are 56 British colonies which constituted the British Empire around the world. And most of them have taken uh, this Westminster type constitution, which we have we have adopted also. <laughs> and concepts there are all British in that sense, which are in a sense untranslatable. Of course, they can be translated literally into another <laughs> language. But but somehow the, the ethos of it, how, how it is practiced, etc., is, is purely a, a matter which has to, which is linked up very very firmly with language as well so we have to also at the same time whilst introducing hindi etc improve the english language we have yeah. to we have to improve our knowledge of the english language and that can only arise if people are better educated also in english yeah. in addition to being educated in uh, hindi <coughs> this happens all over the world the, the Scandinavian countries, for instance, they they they, they speak uh, each almost every child speaks three languages. Right. right. So, Mr. Parman, those voices that claim that the constitution is a colonial document, I, I think, right, uh, pieced together from various constitutions of the West. We keep hearing those voices, and they've increased of late. Yes, they right? have. Right. So what what then are the options before us? I mean, to draft a constitution that is more Indian or dare I say more Hindu? It would be a disaster. A disaster. It would be a disaster because it would never be agreed to. It was, it, it, you must realize that we have now worked a constitution written in English 
with a Hindi version as well for 75 years. I can <laughs> understand if we had, I can understand if we had a, 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 a right at the start decided yeah. to have a Gandhian type constitution, which was yeah. his, uh, 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 because he turned his back on our, this constitution. He didn't like it at all. Yeah. Uh, that's clear. And uh, he was a very wise man. It's not that he wasn't un unwise, but uh, very wise. But but that's a, but that's part of our history now. I mean, we can't remake this history. This is the problem. How, yeah. how do we now adopt all adapt all these concepts, introducing new concepts from from Hindu shastras, etc., etc., into uh, our constitution? I, I I don't know how that can be done. Right. In your book, in fact, uh, you say that you know we will never be able to piece together a new constitution in the present day and age, even if we tried. That's correct. That's correct. Absolutely. Because each Indian today, I mean, a very educated Indian has two opinions on every subject. <laughs> More than two opinions on every subject. And it's very impossible. And if we remember the constitution was drafted at a time when there were only 350 million people. Right. <laughs> today we are four times or five times that number. You know, if we talk about freedom of speech and expression, which is a fundamental right, uh, subject to the restriction by law in the interest of the security of state. Uh, but in this day and age, can showing bad feelings towards a particular government be construed as undermining the security of the state? Of course not. Of course not. But you see, this was that is why that is why when someone says colonial, according <laughs> to that, because when you when you are a British colony, if the people of India in British India, we are not expected to have enmity for their government. Not yeah. the word government, not state. The government of the country. And that's why the, that's the origin of Section 123, Capital A of the Indian Penal Code, which is almost retained now and under the new dispensation, <laughs> which, which requires every citizen to have affection for his government. I mean, you... Yeah have affection for your government. One needn't have disaffection, but one certainly doesn't, <laughs> one cannot cultivate affection for one's government because that's the very, very antithesis of a democracy. Correct. Remember that in England, for instance, the, the uh, leader of the opposition has been traditionally known as leader of his majesty or her majesty's opposition, not leader of the opposition. That is to say, there is an essential element to have not only a prime minister, but a leader of opposition in every particular government on the Westminster model, which we have adopted. Okay. Thank, Thank you, Mr. Naiman. Thanks a lot. So listeners, that was Mr. Fali Nariman and we spoke about his new book, You Must Know the Constitution. I hope you liked the episode. I'm Divya Shekhar. See you next time. <laughs>